you know, nothing to do with uh, today's storm. Nothing to do with that. They sung, I don't know if anybody else noticed, but uh, two songs about storms. Three songs. Didn't even notice. Three songs. Meanwhile, I don't know if it's just in my mind. Sometimes, you know, the Lord uses what's going on in the natural. Sometimes there's something coincidental, and sometimes there's something prophetic. And, you know, well, the storms are rising and they're surging against this nation in the natural. I believe that uh, we need a, a surge. We need a flood of God's presence in this nation again. We need the waves of God to come across this nation again. We need a category 14 move of God in this nation. And, and, and the storms may be coming and they will come. There's actually nothing abnormal about what's happening. It happens all over the world every year. It just is happening right here at home. And it's, so it's, it's, it hurts us a little. That's not abnormal. But there's still, there's a person's life there that's changing their life. That's fresh and new for them today. That wasn't their reality yesterday. So we stand with them and we believe. But at the same time, um, I also see that the storms and these things in, in creation, they will increase. The earth is getting ready for the Lord's coming. And although storms are normal, tornadoes are normal, uh, these things in the stars and in the heavens are normal. Um, we have the proof in the word that these things will intensify and it's a sign of his coming. And, and so Florida has seen hurricanes before. I don't want to over spiritualize a hurricane, but I believe that this season that we've come in, I do personally, it's my opinion. Um, and I believe it's the Lord, but I can't tell you for fact, but I believe that these are some of the signs of this, just the the end, the things are heating up and the Lord is getting ready for a comeback. And before his comeback, right, who knows he's coming back as part of the gospel. Unless we believe that he's coming back, the gospel is incomplete. Did you know that? Your salvation is complete, but the fullness of the gospel is incomplete. It's not finished yet. It was finished as far as the earth goes, as far as his dominion was, is concerned, his dominion was completely and 100% finished. But as far as wrapping things up, there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. Come on, that's the, that's the fullness of the gospel, a new heaven and a new earth. And so we, I stand, we pray, and we mean those prayers, but I do believe they're going to increase, I do believe they're going to intensify and, there, and other things, other things. There will be many things coming, many storms coming from all different sides. And I believe that we as his people, as believers, we need to know our God now. Now is the moment. Because as things do continue to come, what will happen is, is uh, fear and doubt and worry will increase. It's natural because of your surroundings. But the more grounded you are, in a, in a safe place, in a, in a relatively safe place still, relatively safe time still. And I, we saw God's mercy, and I heard um, on the radio, some Christian radio this week, all the miracles. Remember, I was praying, and it's not because of my prayers, it's lots of people praying, but we are praying that there be miracles in Houston, and, and I heard this amazing miracle of a guy who 
They literally came into his living room with kayaks and rescued him and his family. But the odd thing was, is he said, um, you know, how many people have you rescued so far today? They said, you're the first house. But he said his house, there was no reason for his house to be first. Where his neighborhood was and where his house was, there was no, it wasn't, they didn't go in a grid. It wasn't, well, let's pick the first, let's check this house, then that house, then that house, and then we'll pick this street and that street. I mean, if I, you were a mailman rescuing people, that's how you'd do it. But these people just went to his house, and they were number one. And these people, it was a believing family. These people were believers, and he prayed. Now, meanwhile, the part we don't get, and I've been preaching a little bit about this because our times are in his hands, their house was still flooded. They still lost the house, but he saved their lives. Miraculously, God heard their prayers and came to them first and rescued them, and then they went out. And those people actually, they did rescue people the rest of the storm. And we're going to see that too, God's mercy. Somehow he's able to do what he said he would do. The Bible is filled. We need to, we need to, we can't just preach the stuff that we love about the word, although we should major on Jesus Christ is Lord. Come on. Jesus Christ is our savior. We're going to be in heaven for eternity. Let's major on the majors. Let's minor on the minors. But in the Bible, there are also storms that will come times that will come. Jesus said, I fear for you. I, I'm mourning for you. I wish it weren't so for you in the city. If you're on your rooftop, there's not enough time to get down to get your supplies and get out when the time comes. So we see that in the word that there are those, we have to preach the whole word. There are both sides. And his mercy is there for you. His protection is there for you. That's when you got to lean on him more than ever, don't you? God, his position doesn't change in those moments and in these moments. God is still God, but the reality around you will change. And that's just a fact. If we get used to that, if we understand that, then we live in peace and we live in joy and we live in hope, we live in life. But when times come, you're not shaken you're not shaken. The things around you may be shaken, but you're not personally shaken because you're not anchoring to these things. You know that these things are going to come and go. And so I want to preach to you today. I want to continue. Just I felt the Lord spoke a word to me, and it is the verse, my times are in your hand. And that's the New King James Version of Psalm 31:15. My times are are in your hand. No matter what comes, no matter what we face, no matter what it looks like, no matter what you go through, that means if we truly believe this verse that my times are in your hand, if we truly believe that, then that means that we, in our hard times, in our times of suffering, in our times of hurt, we need to lean upon him then just as much as we praised him in our blessing. Not everybody in here right now is dancing in a bed of roses. Not everybody in here is having, has had a great week. And it doesn't mean that, that we're going to stay there. I'm not trying to lull you into that and saying, well, just get used to that. That's how it is. What I'm saying is the fact that that's around you is irrelevant. The fact that the storms around you, the fact that the, the storms of life are around you, if it's not a storm, there's a storm of life around you this week, 
right? And the fact that that's around you doesn't mean anything if our eyes are on God. Doesn't mean it's comfortable. Doesn't mean it's easy. But if we can get this, that our times are in his hands, then we have to say in the good and in the bad, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And I praise you anyway. I praise you now, just like I praised you when it was good. I don't know what you're going to do in this time or how you're going to fix this, but I praise you today, just like I praised you when you gave me the things I asked for. And I'm hoping and leaning upon you and believing that you're going to keep being good to us in some way, shape, or form. Meanwhile, as that theme's been in my head all week, I had these verses coming through my heart. And in the irony of them singing these songs today and what's going on, I had Isaiah 59, 19, in the New King James. It says, in Isaiah 59, 19, it says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. It says, let's read this out loud. When the enemy comes in like a flood. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And what those words actually mean, the way it's, where it's translated there, lift up a standard against them. It's, we, we actually picture like a blockade. It's not. It actually is a disappearing. It's actually the, the Hebrew words here, actually the Spirit of the Lord will get rid of them. He's just going to get rid of that thing. But who knows? Come on, I want you to say this out loud. We don't need to say it because we know it, but say, sometimes the flood comes. It does. That is a reality. Just as much a reality as the fact that the flood comes, we fear only one thing, and that is God. We fear God and God alone. And when you fear only God, when you only fear Him, then it doesn't matter that the flood has come, although it's not comfortable to your, your humanity, your flesh. It's not comfortable. You are leaning upon the one who will get rid of the flood around you. I'm not going to give you a time frame for that. I'm not going to tell you how he's going to do that, as I've been saying. I don't know how he's going to do that or in what fashion or form. And don't try to put that on God because that may change from instance to instance. But just know the truth that there is a flood coming against you, but God has a plan and a purpose through it. It says, continues on, in the next, in verse 21, it says, As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. The Lord made a covenant with you. Annie mentioned this. I usually don't, sometimes I'm in the other room and I'm walking in while she's praying and I'm praying. And we like to compare what she said before we started. And this was one of the words the Lord had in my heart this week, his covenant. And then she mentioned it. And I think that's really special. The Lord's telling his people that today, this is my covenant with them. The Lord made a covenant with his people. The Lord made a covenant to protect you, to watch out for you, to stand on your side, to be there with you. And his covenant is my spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not 
depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. Why is this covenant mentioned after talking about the enemy as a flood and God dealing with him? His covenant says that the word, the spirit is upon you, my words will be in your mouth. And the Lord started reminding me of something that we so often forget, and as a pastor forget, that his word is the key. His word should never depart from our mouth. The circumstances around your life will change. And sometimes there will be a flood around you. But God's word never changes. Do you realize that his word is the only thing? It is the only thing that never, ever changes. Everything else will change. But God's word is God's word. And the Lord has been reminding me that when you start being overcome, when the flood starts it's one thing to come against you. It's another thing when it starts coming on you, when it starts overtaking you. When you start, is anybody else in this room, maybe I'm just talking to the wall today, but has anybody else felt bombarded by the enemy, felt bombarded by life? Am I the only one that felt completely and totally bombarded? I mean, that's mentally, physically, spiritually bombarded. And the reality is, is the enemy, what is a flood? What is a flood? It surrounds, it consumes, it takes everything. It's not just a wall. It's not just a wall of opposition. A flood destroys. It takes everything. It comes over and you are consumed. And that's, in fact, how I felt this very week, just bombarded bombarded. It doesn't mean that I stayed there. It doesn't mean that we're going to stay there. But sometimes the enemy will come like a flood and you will feel bombarded. And our key, the Lord reminded me, the key this week in my own personal life is, are you letting that flood that is coming, are you letting it get to you? Or are you standing and speaking my truth against it? And I had to admit to the Lord that I, even though you're praying, you know, sometimes, you know, you can be praying. <laughs> you can be praying and asking for God to help you and not be speaking. You're praying to God. It's like you got a hole. It'd be like bailing your life raft out of water. You're bailing it out, but it's because you got a hole in the thing. And you know, when we don't believe his word, even when we pray to him, when we don't believe it, we are not speaking it, and that's not, and I'm going to look at it. Joshua said the meditations of our heart and our mind. If you're letting the things in your life be your meditation, if you're letting those things be what you're thinking about and what you're dwelling on, then the enemy's already got you. The meditations of my heart, the thoughts in my mind need to be the truth of his word. Do you know everything else besides his word is a lie? Even a little bit of word with a little bit of world is still a lie. 
even praying to God and trusting in God, but then being defeated, speaking defeat, and letting the voices of defeat in your mind and just believing it. Well, this is just how it is. It's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And you're praying and asking God, it's bailing it out, and there's a hole that you've left unplugged. I'm going to be a little bit all over the place today because I just, that's just going to be how it is. It may not be a physical flood in your life, but sometimes the floods come and the flood consumes everything. You may be bombarded and when an attack comes, many times like a flood from every side all at once and you can't even breathe. You're so overwhelmed that in you, and all of us, as believers, even as much light as God has in us, He's still pushing out the darkness. As much light is in you, do you know that there's still darkness that's being pushed out of you? It doesn't, that's not God in you. It's just the old you. And God's getting rid of it. Come on, let's testify. God is getting rid of that. But in all of us, even in the greatest of greats who ever served the Lord, and you can read it in some of their biographies, there was a dark place in all of them that God kept dealing with and kept shining the light on and kept getting out of them. I'm not saying they weren't defeated. They did great things for God. But there is a place that if you let the devil get it, there's a place in you, in your mind and in your soul, where your head goes underwater, where you've let the flood take you. It's not you will not stop. And that's why I, I don't want to be un, uh, not compassionate towards Florida. That's why we, I pray before I even preach this. But you're not going to stop hurricanes. They have, unfortunately, when sin entered the world, so did the hurricane. So did the tornado. So did the lion having to eat for a living. It's just the, the cruel, bloody world that we live in in this temporary place. That's why... Jesus says, don't focus, don't, this is not your home. This is not it. This is a, a holding place. There's a time that's coming where it's all, where the lion and the lamb will sit together again. There's a time coming. So we don't want to focus on here, but if you do, if you let your mind focus on here and this and those things, if you focus on those things, it will start taking you. It is that powerful without God. You are not. There's no such thing as mind over matter. Sometimes a believer could mix in the world and not even realize, I'm strong. I can do this. I can defeat this. No, you can't. You can't. Jesus can. Jesus in you can. He can defeat it. He's your spiritual mind over matter. It's the only mind over matter that can win. That's why the Bible encourages us to get the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? It's the Word. It's not a trick question. He is the Word became flesh. So the mind of Christ is the Word. Do you realize how little sometimes, man, I didn't plan on doing this now. I'm going to do this right at this minute. Just want to, these two to stand up. Sorry. Hey, you know what? 
That's how it is. Why don't you want this couple to stand up? Come on. John and Mariah just got engaged yesterday. I just want to congratulate you. But what I'm so encouraged about is a couple looking at God's word and saying, what do you want in our lives? What do you want, God? They're actually concerned about what God wants in their life. Do you know how little, we don't even realize how little we actually consider God in our lives sometimes. We think we're doing it his way. And have we gone back to the word to find his way? And we're praying, God, God, where are you? God, I need you. And God's like, well, you got to do it my way. My way is my way. We can't do things our way and then pray. Because you can pray. He's going to tell you, well, go fix the hole in your raft. And then your prayers are going to work. Because water's still, I'm still taking water out. You're just taking it in as fast as I'm taking it out. It's not that God's not doing it for you. We need to stop pointing our finger at God and say, God, why is this happening in my life? Why is this around my life? And he says, well, I gave you my word. And not only did I change your mind and put my word, if you lit it in, my mind, in your mind, but Jesus did not let anything stop him. Jesus was unconcerned about a storm, wasn't he? Storms, just, he just bypassed them. Oh, there was a, Peter, I'm sorry, did I, was I walking on water out here? I didn't even realize, Peter. Did I, I was walking on the wind and the waves? That's totally irrelevant to me. Is this making any sense today? It's touching anybody's hearts today. Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. <laughs> Let's read this in the New King James. It says in verse 2, He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. You may have sunken into your situation. You may be overwhelmed by it. But there's one thing to do is to cry out. And when you cry out, God's going to do one thing. He's going to put you upon the rock. It is the only thing stable. Do you know what the rock is? We know it's Jesus. Fast forward, New Testament, the rock that he's founded upon and he's building his church upon and anything you build that will matter into eternity. And don't think, well, I'm not worried about that because I'm worried about right here and now. That's the silliest thing to ever say. It's like I heard uh, John Bevere saying, he was trying to give us an, uh, an interpretation of what it means, what time and eternity is. And he said, I'll give you whatever it was, a million years here, a million to do. But then eternity, if you could put a time on it, is trillions upon trillions of years. So you worry about right here and you're focused on here. It's such a tiny blip. It is such a nowhere. It's such a non-existence in the scheme of eternity. It won't even, in fact, you ready? This place won't even exist. The, the removal 
when you have eternity of a place of time, it is no longer in existence. Who can remember one second of your life? You remember the important seconds, the important moments, but you, you have to really focus on those seconds. The years, they become images. And that's why you're still here. That's why we need to focus on eternity. We need to be like Christ. We need a different mind. And when we pray, he's going to set us upon the rock. That's the only steady ground. He established my steps. It says in Psalm 69, verse 1, he says, Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I'm in deep water. <laughs> and the floods overwhelm me. I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen and, and with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. But I keep praying to you, Lord, hoping this time you will show me favor in your unfailing love. And, and, and the New King James, more traditional, is saying, in the time of the Lord, at the right time, God has an answer for you. And it says, verse 14, don't let me sink any deeper. And he says in verse 16, answer my prayers, O Lord, for your unfailing love is wonderful. Take care of me, for your mercy is so plentiful. Don't hide from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I'm in deep trouble. We need to pray. We need to pray. But the Lord, when we pray, he's going to give you one answer. He'll answer the situation. That's not hard for God. When the enemy comes like a flood, God's going to lift up. He's going to remove. He'll take it away. But there's one answer for us personally, and that is get yourself on the rock now. Get on that rock now. Get founded in that word now because the floods are coming, but there's a safe place. I'll deal with the enemy but get to my safe place. Get on the rock. That's the only stable footing that you'll have. You try to do things your way. You try to figure your situation out with a little bit of God and a little bit of you, you're going to get a mess. And that's what the Lord's really been showing me. You're believing, you're praying, but then you're all constantly meddling. Who's, who meddles for God to help God get his job done? And we need to just go to one thing. I'm going to stand on your word. I don't know what else to do, but my word shows me. It's proven to me, not just in things for me to say and to believe, but uh, there's actually also the stories of men that put these things into practice and it worked for them. See, his word is amazing. His word is, there's so many, there's Psalms and the Proverbs and Isaiah and Jeremiah, lines that we can pray. But then there's also the men in that same very book that also walked those things out. I really wanted to share this story. It's 12 o'clock. Keep me to 12.15, all right? I just want to share King Hezekiah. It's an amazing story about this king. It was a time when people had walked away from God, the very people that God had saved and the, and the lands that he had saved and preserved. Everybody had walked away, and even the kings had 
started serving other gods. But King Hezekiah comes in and he starts getting some things back in order. He starts trusting God. In fact, what happened is, is they went to the word. He saw the, the, the things that weren't right in the kingdom because they weren't following God. They were doing their own thing. And, and so he put, starts putting some things back in order. Starts putting some places, restoring some places. Starts cleaning out the temple. And starts putting people in back in positions that had just been doing whatever. And he starts doing these things. And it says in 2 Chronicles 31 verse 20. It says, King Hezekiah handled the distribution throughout all Judah, doing what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. The New King James says he did what was good and right and true. And in verse 21 it says, In all that he did in the service of the temple of God and in his efforts to follow God's laws and commands, Hezekiah sought his God wholeheartedly. Or, or he did it with all his heart. And it says, and as a result, he was very successful. The Bible says that there was a man that saw the disorder, saw the chaos, saw the things going on, but he stood up. It was hard, but he did the right thing, cleaned some things out, got some things right, established himself in God and in God alone. And it says that he did it with all his heart, seeking God, putting God first, and he was very successful. But in verse 1 of chapter 32, that's the last verse of 31, it says, after, I want everybody to say that word out loud, after, who knows, <laughs> after, put God first, start trusting God. The fact, I've said it before, the fact that you're in this church, you know the world has decided that this is not important. The world has decided, I don't really care what God says. What is the Sabbath? I've decided that I don't care. I've decided I'm just going to do it my way. I'll just seek God and serve God in my way, in my time, you know, when I feel like it and when it's convenient. When you start putting things right, though, enemy doesn't care about that guy, by the way. That's why their life is great. And they go, you going to church? I don't want to go. I, and, and let's just, all right, well, I'm not going to get on a tangent. I could go, I could get on a tangent. You might say, I don't want your life. Your life's a mess. You're going to church. Why would I want your life? Well, because the Bible says after, <laughs> after Hezekiah had faithfully, come on, let's read this out loud. After Hezekiah had partially, when he felt like it, casually carried out, this work. He had faithfully carried out God's work. He decided, I'm going to do things God's way. We're going to do it his way. And it says that King Sennacherib of Assyria, now this was to give you an analogy, this is their enemy. You have an enemy, it's Satan and, and the, the fallen angels and the demons that oppose you and they oppose God's kingdom and they are still your enemy today. We don't have... Uh, a king of Assyria necessarily uh, at your door, but you have an enemy, just as he had an enemy, and it says that his enemy invaded Judah and he laid siege to the fortified towns, giving orders for his army to break through their walls. Verse 2. It's not a very long story. I just want to read through these verses. 
And when Hezekiah realized that Sennacherib also intended to attack Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military advisors, and they decided to stop the flow of the springs outside the city. They organized a huge work crew to stop the flow of the springs, cutting off the brook and so on. And then verse 5, and then it says, and then Hezekiah worked hard at repairing all the broken sections. The New King James says he strengthened himself. When you're serving God and all of a sudden the enemy's at your door, and if you notice, this has been a theme for these last weeks, just when God's saying, you start serving God, you start trusting God, you start being faithful to him, expect the enemy to be at your door. This is not odd. This is Bible. But, but, with a capital B, he doesn't win, he never has, and he never will. God always wins. May not be in the scenario that you planned, but God always wins. But I love here that they did things in the natural, because we all do. We all try to do what you could do initially. Things come, you don't realize. Who has been in a position where you didn't realize the enemy was using the situation in your life yet? Anybody started just doing things in the natural because that's what you do. And then all of a sudden you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're in deep. As we were reading in the Psalms, you get to a point where you have no choice but to cry out. Been in deep. You didn't even realize, but he worked hard. He did the things that he could do in the natural. And, and to be honest, I don't think that God is angry at us when we start using wisdom and we start trying to do things to, to stop what's coming against our lives. Because it's really what he does now that matters. Sometimes you're going to be in that position. I've been in it so many times. I started doing things for God. I mean, I'm sorry. I started trying to do God's job for him. <laughs> trying to, you know, take care of the situation. I, I, I don't know, maybe the guy on the wall, the spiritual guy on the wall should have been warning me, hey, uh, that's an enemy approaching handle this situation with care, and I'm not paying attention. But regardless, you get into this position, but I love, and I won't drag this on, I love what Hezekiah does here. They've done these things, and then it says in verse 7, he gets the people together, and he says this. He says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria or his mighty army, I love that he has to tell them that. <laughs> I love that he has to tell them, oh, it says the multitude. He's like, oh, in case the people didn't look over the wall and realize themselves that it was, <laughs> don't be afraid of this stage four cancer that kills everybody you know. Sometimes you got to say the facts out loud, whatever. We're not worried about the facts because they don't affect us. But he says it. And he says, but they are merely men. They are merely men. It's just, this is temporary. It's just water. It's not eternal. It can never get, they can take even your body. But Jesus said, don't be afraid of that. I've been, I said this in the last two sermons. Be afraid of what can take your soul. They can't take anything. There's nothing that they can touch. 
Because he said, we have the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles for us. God doesn't need you to fight. What he needs you to do is to know who he is. As soon as you start letting the enemy that is very obvious in front of you, as soon as you let that start, it starts getting in your mind, you start getting overwhelmed, in the, and you can, out of your mouth, you can just find out what your heart is, find out if your heart is trusting God based upon fear and doubt and worry coming out of your mouth, or I don't know, but I'm going to keep trusting God. I don't know, but I'm just going to keep trusting God. It looks really bad, but I'm just going to keep trusting God. Doesn't make sense, but I'm just going to keep trusting God. It's very obvious that this flood is, it's, I'm really standing in water, but I'm going to keep trusting God. And it says that Hezekiah, his words greatly encouraged the people, or he strengthened the people. You want strength? There's one thing to do. Just start declaring God. Just start declaring God. Do you know when he did this, the army didn't ma magically disappear? If right after these encouraging words, if you were to look over that wall, you would still see an army against you. But yet they were greatly encouraged because they decided to not look at the army anymore, and they started looking at God, started looking at who he is. And do you know, when you do that, guess what happens? The enemy doesn't say, well, I guess that's that. He comes harder. And it says that King Sennacherib, he sent a messenger, and it says that he brings the messenger right up to the wall, and check this out. This is absolutely incredible. And he starts yelling at him. He starts yelling at the people. He says, no one's going to survive, verse 10. He said, Hezekiah, see, this is what the devil does. The devil tries to tell you that God's word is a lie. God's not going to come through for you. God's not going to save you. And he'll start saying all the things to, in your mind. He starts saying, he says, in verse 11, he said, The Lord our God will rescue us from the king of Assyria. Surely, this is their response, Hezekiah's response, because they're taunting him. He says, The Lord our God, he's got the truth, he's not going to listen to the lie. The Lord our God will rescue us. And then he says, Verse 13, surely you must realize what I and other kings of Assyria before me have done to all the people of the earth. This is what the enemy will do to you. Try, and he'll try to highlight his victories around you. That's why I'm saying. You cannot look at the circumstances and you cannot look, you cannot look at the floodwaters because if you do, he's already got you. He has already got it. He said, I've done it. Don't you see it? Were any of the gods of those nations able to rescue their people from my power? Don't you realize, though, Satan, that I don't serve your little g-gods. Come on, out loud. I don't serve little g-gods. That's what they didn't realize. And anyway, he goes on and he just taunts them and it says that he came in verse, er, verse 13. I got to do at least one. I told Dawn to help soften my messages, at least one weird word in every sermon. 
Verse 18, it says the Assyrian, that's 18 and Assyrian mix, that's how you get 18. Um, the Assyrian officials who brought the letters shouted this in Hebrew. Do you realize how significant this is? They were Assyrian. They were not Hebrew. The enemy knows your language. What language gets in your head? He knows the buttons to push in you. He knows your fear language. He knows your doubt language. And he will speak those precise words. He'll come in your language, and it says it was for one purpose. Look what it says, why he did that. He did that so that he could terrify them, and it would be easier to capture the city. It can only get you if you let him. The storm can only overtake you if you let it. It will come. Come on, just say it out loud. It will come, but it's not getting me. And not because my mind over matter, but because of his mind. Come on, we should put that on a t-shirt. Mind over matter. Yeah, it's Christ's mind. That's what it says on the bottom. So it says, verse 20, and this is at these last two verses. It says, Then King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to God in heaven, and the Lord sent an angel who destroyed. Come on, the Lord is sending out angels even right now. This has been part of his theme, and I didn't major on it last week. I meant to maybe more, but it is what it is. God knew what I was going to say before I said it. He's saying it today. His angels are being sent out on your behalf. There are a couple of things he's straightening out. We need to be praying. We need to be putting him first. But we need for his covenant to be active, to still be working. It hasn't changed on his side. We need to be following the rules. And the rules are simple. It's his word. You get in his word. You start reciting his word. You don't recite the facts. You don't recite what you see around you. You don't worry. You don't fear. You don't doubt. And I know this, I'm making it sound real easy until you're in the moment. And that's when you just look up further and you get down on your knees harder and you pray harder and you cry out more. And if you need to, to get your mind to get what the word says, then you just keep saying it until your mind believes what the word says in fact. And he prayed out and it says that the angels, and that's what God is doing right now. And in Jesus' name, Lord, put those angels in Florida even right now. In Jesus' name, there's no reason today that his angels cannot do what they did here and put their hands against those storm surges in Jesus' name and push them back. And it says that he destroyed the Assyrian army with all its commanders and officers, so Sennacherib was forced to return home in disgrace. And I love this. And when he entered the temple of his, what's this little word right here? His little G-God. <laughs> he entered the temple of his God, and it says some of his own sons killed him with their sword. Killed him there with a sword. Let's stand.
We thank you, God, that we don't serve little G-gods. And I thank you, God, that just as Hezekiah did, part of this whole thing, Lord, is you're, start, you're severing the heads. We didn't read that part, but that's what he did right before this story. He had just killed the very gods that this king was worshiping. And that's why the enemy came, because he's angry that those gods were no longer being worshipped. And I thank you, Lord, that your people are no longer going to worship this world. Your people are no longer going to lift high the gods of this world. We're going to lift high one true God. And we are aware that after... He will come, but I thank you, Lord, that after that, there's another after. After he comes, God is still God. And after that, you're still God again, and always God, and always will be God, and the enemy will always be at our feet, always under us, always trampled. That has not changed, even though the circumstances do. We thank you, God, and give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.